Hello everybody, what's up? This is Chet Czar here. Chet Czar here. I'm here. I'm bringing you another episode of the Dark Art Society podcast. Today, I interview Gabe Leonard. This is episode 205. What is the date? May 18th. Boy, the year is just flying by. Tax day yesterday. Oh my God. Anyway, um, <clears throat> yeah, to, today I, I interview Gabe Leonard, who's an old friend of mine, an old buddy, an old pal from way back when, from, I don't know, how many years ago? That's a good question. I should ask him. Anyway, uh, we had the idea to discuss working with galleries because we were texting back and forth about um, his live stream that he's been doing. You got to check his live stream out every Friday on YouTube at Gabe Leonard Art. It's really great where he talks about how he uh, became a successful artist, his path to becoming a successful painter in the art world. And um, he does it while he life paints. It's really great. Every Friday Pacific Standard Time at 3 p.m. Um, anyway, we were talking about his live stream and he was talking about I always watch his live stream because I think it's uh, really informative and just interesting. He's a good storyteller. His path is interesting. And um, uh, he was getting into working with galleries a little bit on his live stream. And he was saying it's kind of difficult to talk by yourself about things, which I said, yeah, that's why I don't do the podcast by myself. I just talk because I'm I suck at it. That's why I interview people. So I thought, well, come on the podcast and talk about galleries because then I could interview you and it might be a little bit easier. Um, so it just seemed like a good subject. It's something that a lot of artists ask me about how to get into galleries. And uh, Gabe is kind of in these kind of next level galleries that, that um, uh, are, are good to be in for that market. And so it's a, it's a different path than, than I'm on, but, uh, you know, like we dis you know, discussed among ourselves, it's a, there are similar fundamental under underlying truths, but the, the galleries are different. The types of galleries we show in are kind of different in the way they do business. So anyway, it was an interesting conversation. And I think every, everybody looking to be, a fine artist or make it in the art world should listen to this episode. It's uh, full of all kinds of great um, insights and advice and stuff about it. So that's coming up. That's coming up. Uh, what have I been up to? I um, What am I doing? I'm waiting to get my next iteration of the dystopia book, which should be the last one. And then we'll make all the corrections. And if there's any corrections left to make, which I'm sure there will be one or two, and then and then the next one after that will be ready to go to the printer. So I'm just kind of waiting for that. It's probably going to take, I don't know, a couple weeks or so, I'm guessing. So it's happening. It's soon, right around the corner. And um, so other than that, I'm painting a bunch of studies i have a show 
in October, a solo show at Copro. I haven't had one in a couple of years there, I think. And, um, so I have to start thinking about that. So I started making studies for that show and I also need to make some money. So I thought, well, I'll make some studies to sell. I haven't sold any studies for a while and I will at the same time make the studies for paintings for my October show. So I can kind of get an idea of what I'm going to do. And I came up, came upon a really cool concept visually at least. And, um, yeah. And just the concept for the show is interesting too. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, the studies are looking really cool. I just started painting with French ultramarine blue and alizarin crimson and some white. And I started, and I got this amazing, cool, colorful color palette that I'm really into. So I've been doing those. I'm going to put those on sale probably at the end of this week, definitely the end of this week, uh, maybe sooner though, probably Friday. I'm going to shoot for Thursday, but probably Friday. So anyway, I'm going to do that. Um, cause I had my taxes yesterday. And so I got to make some money to make up for that. And, uh, that's what I've been doing. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, no, uh, so new subscribers this week. No new subscribers. It's been a while since we had no new subscribers. So if you want to help make that deficit up, we usually have a few at least. We we've been we were on a run there <clears throat> for a while. I can't even think of the last time there were no new subscribers um, to the Patreon. But if you if you want to help make up that deficit, you can go for just a dollar a month, twelve dollars a year. It's so cheap and um, you get the podcast a day early and you get entrance into the members only section of the darkartsociety.com website, which is growing all the time. Josh just did an update um, on it, Josh G. And um, you get in the Facebook group, which is really an amazing place. It's really, it's the only, well, it's one of the only cool places on Facebook is the Dark Art Society Cooperative Group. And the only way to get in there is to join for your measly $1 a month at uh, patreon.com slash darkartsociety. If you want to check out my Patreon, my personal one, you can see all these studies I'm making as I make them. I paint them, I record them while I'm painting them, and then I post them as soon as I'm done with the session. So you're seeing what's happening in my studio real time before anybody else. And... Um, so uh, then after that, I take the recordings, I turn them into time lapses, and then I post those for Patreon people only too. And uh, so lots of tons of content on there. It's, it's, I was looking for something on there earlier, and there was so much stuff to go through. It was kind of hard to uh, get through it. But it's definitely you can join that one for as little as a dollar a month also. And that's at patreon.com slash chetzar. Um, I guess that's it because there's no new subscribers. So let's go with the word of the week, the synesthesia word of the week. For those of you who don't know, I have gastroluxical synesthesia, which means words and names have flavors. It's hard to explain. Um, so let's pick a name. What's a good name? Um, uh, what's one I haven't done before? Um, hmm. Hmm. 
Mary. Mary's a good one because Mary is a really strong synesthesia word, and it's weird, and it makes absolutely no sense. Mary tastes like a cold hot dog, like a raw, like a hot dog when you're a kid and you just grab a hot dog out of the refrigerator and it's cold and you eat it cold. That's what Mary tastes like. So I hope you enjoyed that. Okay, on with the, the new episode. Here we go. Gabe Leonard, part two, talking about galleries, working with galleries. All right, hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you. Hi, Gabe. Hey, Chet. <laughs> hey, Gabe. Oh. <laughs> How's it going? Act normal. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how are you doing today? You doing well? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Doing I your... slept in. <laughs> oh, nice. What time do you? What's your schedule? Because um, I generally get up when my girlfriend's going to work, so usually between eight thirty and nine. Okay. But it's been really overcast lately, and so it's, like, dark. <laughs> you know, like, and uh, I had trouble sleeping last night, so, I like, if I'm tired, I just sleep for another half hour or so, and then I get up. But usually around 9, no later than 10, mm. usually. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing the – I'm really trying to be good. I'm doing the um, 6, trying to get up at 6 a.m., trying to go to bed at 10. You usually end up going to bed at, by 11, usually end up getting, at se- getting up at 7. But uh, I'm trying to do Pretty the early schedule, schedule, you know. Even though I don't want to. <clears throat> Why are you trying to do that? Just because, um, you know, I, I have someone who comes at helps, comes in at nine. So I kind of have to be ready for her. And um, it's just, I get more done. It's like when I do the late schedule, it's like I go later and later and I later. I have no discipline for it. And I'll so just. So my I, solution to that, my solution <laughs> to that is just to do less work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, but I'm trying, this year it's like, this is my work, you know, you know, I I work a lot anyway, but this year I'm really trying to knuckle down and like get my book done and and, and keep bringing money in and all this stuff. Yeah. When I have some big project going, like I'm nonstop all day, all night too. Like, and right, right now coming out of uh, lockdown and pandemic stuff, like I'm working on my paintings, but I'm, I kind of put my effort into efficient work rather than trying to work eight yeah. hours on a painting at a time. Right. Like I'll work on a piece like two or three hours and then walk away from it so that I'm always coming back to it with a fresh mind, same here, yeah. fresh energy to it. And yeah. I feel like I actually get more done with less time that way. I'm not totally. like, like after a certain point it becomes counterproductive. I'm just, I'm just there just working on something, you know, putting yeah, paint down. It's like you're there for the wrong reason at that point. You're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to beat this. Yeah. It's not going to beat me. And then you just end up spinning your wheels for three extra hours, wear yourself out, piss yourself off. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's, I, I, so, yeah. And I don't have any huge deadlines right now. So I'm just doing consistent work. Like I work on stuff two or three hours a day on my paintings. And I got a bunch of other stuff I'm working on, too. I got print business stuff. I got to print stuff up and embellish it and lots of other things. A lot of busy work keeping me, keep keeping my time occupied too. Crypto investments. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a full disclosure, Gabe, for the, you, probably everyone listening to this, most people know Gabe. He's been on the podcast. He's a good friend of mine and an amazing painter. And, uh, but we've also become 
crypto buddies recently, which I, <laughs> so it's like we're constantly <laughs> texting. The, Louise, we don't know what we're doing. We're just flying off the cliff laughing. <laughs> basically. So we're like texting each other. Dogecoin's at 49.49. <laughs> We've each got like 50 bucks involved. Yeah, in exa- it. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's totally hilarious. Kind of fun. Yeah, most of that is entertainment value. It is, it it is really, like going it, to the arcades or something. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, for me, it was like, it was, it was, I, I said this on the last episode um, with Josh. Um, it was like, okay, I'm, fi- I'm going to be 54 in November. I got to get some kind of retirement investment, something, not that I ever plan on retiring, but just some kind of, you know, so, you know, some kind of uh, investments or support system, something that's making me money. So I don't have to work so hard and all that shit. And and the crypto was like, well, I'll throw a couple hundred bucks into here and just see what happens. That's how it all started. So it was all part of me <laughs> me starting to educate myself about money and investments and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like as much as it's fun and it's and it's and on the crypto end, it's like for me, it's it's sort of like a fun kind of goofy thing. It's also just forcing me, you know, like we're talking about Bitcoin the other day or today and and stuff, and it's like. The more we talk about it, the more I'm just learning about how money works in general, how the economy works, and all these things that you know, yeah. smart rich people know, and most everybody <laughs> else have no clue. Like, nope. The thing is, like, nobody in my family never ever had money. My sister's the only one that was good with money. Um, nobody, there's no financial education whatsoever in my family no, at all. It's like it not- never was discussed, never considered. It was so weird. So. so- my family was like my mom was good at managing the money, mm-hmm. and so my parents, they bought a house, you know, back when houses were forty thousand dollars. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> same, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then when my dad got transferred with his job, his company would buy his house that he was living in for him, and then they would go to a new town and they would be able to buy. So they managed their credit, but I, I, I the, 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 the sort of working class that I came from, my parents always acted like they were broke. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And same and here. They, I think my mom tried to teach me how to budget, but like she would give, I would end up with like seven dollars in an allowance for doing chores, and it was like, what you put one dollar in your clothing budget? I was like, mom, <laughs> shoes are eighty bucks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not do this. <laughs> and and uh, I, I didn't really have a great. Idea. I, I got into credit cards when I was in college. You know, my mm. mom's like, hey, get a credit card, and I was on a. I was going to our school in Columbus, Ohio, but that was also where Ohio State was. And so I would be up on the Ohio State campus to the art supply store, and there were people out, get a free T-shirt, sign up for a credit card. And that's how I got a credit card. Oh. <laughs> and by the time I got out of college and was living in L.A., I had you know ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 of credit card debt that was just crushing me. Wow, that's a lot and, back then when you're earning yeah, nothing. And Yeah, it was nuts. And so it took me a while to figure out how to work my way out of that because I, w- I was just barely making enough to get by. And then having to pay this minimum payment of several hundred dollars. It was just never ending crushing me. Right. And uh, yeah, it took a while to figure that out. And I had this idea that at some point I'll just make a bunch of money and that'll be the solution to my problems. And when I started making a lot more money, it did solve some of those immediate problems, but created others. (laughs) I also just started, I was like, it was, I was making a bunch of money. I started spending it too. Exactly. Yeah. Especially when it's, you know, it's your, your, when you're making a lot of money through your own business. You yeah, know, you have to yeah. put out and a lot of money to run a business. You do, but I started buying stupid shit. I bought a sports car, which was mm. fun. You know, it wasn't I a Lamborghini, that. but <laughs> but uh, you know, I bought a sports car, 
because I could. It's like I bought it in the middle of the recession in 2009. Everybody was losing their house, losing their jobs. I'm out putting twelve thousand dollars cash down on a sports car. <laughs> an idiot. It was. A... I sold it. I ended up selling that, but I I made a lot of good choices. Like I bought lots of equipment for my business. Like that's right. Yeah, yeah. You know that does. I, I spent most of my money back into my business instead yeah, of like yeah. buying. I I bought a property in Missouri where my family lived. But uh, that ended up costing me more money. It was good for a tax break, but I ended up having to sell it, and I sold it at a, at a loss. Yeah, I remember that a number of years ago. So there's there's no sure way to like <laughs> know what to do with your money, anyways. But yeah. I, <laughs> there there is there, we don't have an education of what money is, and I ended up learning some of that. I started studying like how fiat currency works and all that stuff. I'm like, oh man, we're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> It's just a matter of time before our currency just goes, turns into just useless paper, which is what it really is. But, you know, at the same time, this is what everybody's doing. <clears throat> and what are you going to yeah. do? Like, you know, fight against the wind? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, um, but before we get too far off topic, uh, uh, you know, this, this episode idea came up um, because Gabe has been doing these really great Friday, Friday, live streams where he paints he's doing live painting and then talking about his career and how he became a, a an artist because he's a s- definitely you know successful artist if you if you're making your living off of art full time you're a successful artist as far as i'm concerned it doesn't really matter how much you're making if you're able to support yourself and <clears throat> do it you know that's success to me and um you know, not that you're not making good money because, you, you know, you do pretty well for I would go yourself. a step further. I would say that if you're making art consistently, you're a success. I mean, people put yeah, this true, true. qualification of money on things, and that isn't always a good test of what's successful. It's like, are you happy doing it? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Are you doing it consistently? Like, I think that's true. people think they, they have to make a living with something to be to be successful with it. Like, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, you know, I know. That's a, just, that's a yeah, yeah, it's another version of it. But. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people that, you know, we've talked about this before also in the past. I think on the podcast where, um, you know, day jobs are cool. If it works for you, you know, and you're – it's totally fine. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> None of this matters. But, I mean, it, I, I just was speaking yeah, yeah. in the context I, I, of I hear what you're saying. Having, a, having a business, starting a business. Yeah. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I have been posting – to try and get people to watch these live streams because it's like I, I've heard all the stories already and I still watch them because it's like it's interesting to hear. It's just <laughs> every artist has a different um, trajectory, every a different journey, a different path. And there's like these similarities along the way. There's these kind of signposts that are similar. And then, you know, the paths are just like wildly diverging and converging in totally different ways yeah. for every artist. So uh, I kind of feel like every artist has – a unique journey, but your, yours is really you being, see, this is, was my point. You being, uh, one of the most successful artists I know, financially successful. It matters. Um, you're basically your, your, the things that you say and, uh, matter for people who are interested in having successful art businesses because you're there. So that's why I, and they're, and they're entertaining and, and you're funny and a great painter. So it's like, you know, you kind of got it all <laughs> when you watch these live streams, but I keep, uh, I keep I telling people, my trophies in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so I keep posting about them and, and, and it's like part of this was to this, this podcast is trying to promote these 
uh, YouTube Friday live streams and Facebook, I believe, right? Are you still streaming on yeah, Facebook? Yeah, yeah. Fridays, Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific time. Yeah. I've been doing it pretty consistently for the last couple months at least. So, so there, there's about six or seven of just goes through my story as an artist from how I started in 1998, 99, moving to L.A., all the way up through working with galleries in the right. current time. And uh, before that, the live streams consisted of me explaining what I was doing technically on a painting, what colors I was using and why I was doing. As I was mixing the color, like, why am I doing this? Right. All kinds of stuff like that. Those so, are great, too. Those were fun, too. <clears throat> super informative. The the story is like, you know, like I'm sh- we both see uh, young and up-and-coming artists on online and posing questions and trying to figure this stuff out. And I remember going through all this myself. And there was nobody had any Nothing. answers. <laughs> Nothing. And you didn't even even if you could think of somebody like I couldn't even find anybody who would. I didn't know how to. And right. so basically, you just you're figuring this out as you go along. <clears throat> and and uh, you know, so even talking with you is like, even though our paths are very different, there are fundamental principles I think that mm-hmm. do apply going across the board. Like. You know, and so I, so as I, instead of trying to create, you know, like I'm doing these lessons, instead of trying to talk about <clears throat> like how to, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do, the five steps or the five things or whatever right. this is, I try to just talk about what I did and then I go, I, I give takeaways like this is what I think I learned from this and this is how it applies in sort of a, a broader sense. So like, you know, like what I did was not even available. Like, there's so many different things at play now that why would you do it the way I did it? You know, right. like, like if I had to start over completely right now, I would have to do something completely different because the environment is completely different. Yeah. You know, I, I think you could just still there, but it's, it's I, like skid row now. It's like really nuts. Right. It's, right. But I, but I think, you know, I, I could see an, a younger artist listening to your, your story and going, okay, Venice, Venice beach boardwalk is not an option. So uh, I'm going to relate that to Instagram or whatever, some online presence and put because it's the ultimate the, the underlying message there is take your artwork and put it in front of people where they could see it and, and, and make it easy for them to buy. So you can kind of yeah, relate that much. to to the current. Uh, the, I would you know. go one step further with that. The more I think the more you can and or as frequently as as you can put it in front of people in a real way like. When, you know, I think you're doing your events like Monster Palooza and doing the gallery mm-hmm. events that you do, yeah. drawing these big audiences. That creates a certain energy. People see the actual work. Mm-hmm. It's it's a different. It rings a different bell in their head about, especially when it comes to, like, a decision to purchase or collect your work. True. If they see it in person, it's likely to, to be, to have more weight than seeing it as a as as they scroll through it on Instagram right, or right. Facebook. Ever. Yeah, especially but, when there's a lot of uh, like a million other people doing it too. So it's you're, you're yeah, you become yeah. one one of many artists just trying to sell their stuff online. So that so that was the thing about selling in the boardwalk or in the street is that there's a million artists, but there's only a few of them willing to do that. Mm, right. And so you have to compete with that. And, and being standing out on a on a venue like Venice Beach wasn't all that difficult. There were like there was when I was selling out there, there were some really good artists. But a lot of them are just that's their that's you know they're it just comes down to who's willing to do it right yeah you know and and uh, what I, what you're doing is you're putting your work out in front of a huge audience but because the space is the, even, there's a, a finite amount of space 
you have to be willing to jostle for that space. And there's all kinds of other things. And some people just aren't willing to sleep in their car overnight to get the space <laughs> or to deal with uh, uh, homeless people puking on a park, park bench next to you right? And, and screaming at people passing by you. It's like all these sort of things that are just if, – if you're not able to cope with that, it's like you bounce. Right. You know? and, and I saw people come in, in there and, and not make it work right away and quit. I was just more desperate than everybody else. Yeah, yeah, you got to have a certain kind of personality to do that. Like my dad could have could not have done it. There's no way he could have done that. I think about. I mean, he you know physically could have done it, but I don't think he. I, I don't think he had it in him to, to at least at the uh, as a, as a you know when he was my dad when he was an older dude. Even me, I couldn't fucking do that now. It would be like I don't have the energy to do that. It's like all I can do to, to do Monster Palooza for a weekend. You know that yeah, takes yeah. everything out of me. I can't imagine. Week after week, going sleeping in yeah, the car, was, setting up. It's I was there. It's a young I was man's out game. Every, every weekend for years, selling my work. <laughs> every weekend, we would do the uh, Hive Gallery shows or the Cannibal Flower. Mm-hmm. I'd, so I'd be on a Saturday night. I'd be at the boardwalk from you know six a.m. till four or five p.m. when when I booked out of there. I would show up at the show event. And then I would leave early because I had to get up and go back to the boardwalk the next day. I made money selling selling my art in the street. I never made money at those at those group shows. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, those they were kind of fun to do. Yeah, but. they were fun. They they were for me. They were like a networking opportunity. It's like I met a ton of people there that I still know to this day from Cannibal Flower. And it was like I'm showing in a gallery, which was exciting and yeah. cool, and also adds to the prestige. And you know, your your <clears throat> your cv and stuff so that's a, that's a good thing to do yeah that's what i did them for Get experience Just, you know, then you have these events you have people not more eyeballs on the work but um group shows in general they they aren't your path to making a living they might be uh, a good way to uh you know just get your get into the scene mm-hmm. but but really uh, just by the numbers like you can only do so many of those events and they only drive so many, and then if there's a hundred, hundred different artists with different types of work, it's hard to like, you know, stand out. You don't have any control over how it's displayed, presented, lots right. of different things. Um, if I remember, if your price points are way different than everybody else's, it makes you stick out like a sore thumb. Like if it's right. too high or too low, like you know. So there's 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 good good and bad to that. I think starting out, go for every avenue you have to get your eye, get people on, eyes on your work. Yeah, but um, so sometimes it's more strategy than it is about making making uh, sales. Definitely, you know? so, definitely. And there's been a lot of times where I've made a st- strategical move or done something strategical, where I made very little on something mm-hmm. for a while in order to get to somewhere else. Or I oh, took definitely. a product that yeah. I didn't really want to do because it gave me the like. I remember I had this job for a greeting card company that wanted me to do these greeting cards, and they were things that I didn't, it wasn't in line with the work that I, I wanted to do. And I couldn't figure out if I could make those turn into print sales somehow. Right. But I ended up ha- having them, I, but then I decided, oh, I want to get this big printer. It was like three grand. And so I made a deal with them to hire me to do like five or six of them at a time. And so the, the total amount was enough to pay for this printer. And I got a deposit and then went and bought the printer. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and yeah. and I mean, then I finished the job. So it, it, I, I did that even though I didn't really, wasn't able to figure out how to make those projects work to make more money uh, with print sales or anything else. It did get me to have something else that was more valuable. So I'm like always figuring out how to take what I'm doing and 
uh, leverage it into something that is more productive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you know, I've uh, I've heard of people selling, you know, giving a, a price break to a big time collector just to say so you can say that I'm in the collection of this big time guy that everybody knows. I mean, there's benefits to that. There's there's even you know you hear so much about the never do free work, never go less than your, you know, never do. I, I'm like, I early on, it's like, you can do that stuff. You know, it's like, it's part, I've done yeah, that. You, I did that you, a lot that. when I was early on. And you it's like, even, some of it was really beneficial, like super beneficial yeah. in like yeah, yeah. 10, 20 years later because of these relationships that were made that way, mm-hmm. you know? Just like this, this dude. Remember the? I've been watching this Casey Neistat guy, this YouTuber. I sent you. I don't know if you watched any of his videos. I yet. haven't got a chance to. Yeah, yet. yeah. It's like you know, it's mainstream goofy shit. But it's like he he's the way he does his videos are so creative, and it makes me interested. The cinematography is awesome. Uh, anyway. I, I, you know, he's old news by now, but I just discovered him, of course, because I'm, I'm old news. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but uh, what he's, you know, he's, I saw him giving these talks, and he was talking about what, how when he started becoming a filmmaker when he was like uh, 20 years old or whatever, early 20s, he said he would just take everything on, even if it was free jobs, just because he was trying to get experience and build his career up. He's like, he would do shit for either no money or just very little money, and it's, and it so goes against what you hear or what you see online a lot nowadays where people are like never never take less than your worth and it's like it depends where you are on your career path really well i i think the the parallel to that is people are seem to be worried about getting ripped off right yeah yeah you know like i hear a complaint like galleries take 50 percent like you know and they start complaining about those things and that is the exact wrong attitude to have. Uh, if you're, because I, I went through this, I, I got ripped off by people, and then I like, then I learned everything I needed to know about copyright law, and then I was really militant about not letting anybody like take my like. Remember when MySpace was around? I would like somebody took one of my images, I would write to them like, "You you don't have permission to use that." <laughs> this is my you cease know? and desist. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's a certain amount of what you got to give away for free, um, so that. It can come back, come back to you to some degree. Um, and then with the copyright stuff, I started to, it's like, you don't want to spend all your time chasing down stuff like this. Cause most of the time people aren't trying to rip you off. They don't understand that they're taking it. They don't even know that they're what they're doing. They're right. just putting it on their page and sharing like whatever. Right. Um, if you're that worried about it, don't put it on the internet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. True. Um, <laughs> I, 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 by the uh, by the way, before we get too far into this, I just want to make mention that even though this is going to be in the title, that the, the concept for this show was was to talk about uh, working with galleries. This because this is something Gabe and I have been talking about recently, and it kind of came up on, on your your uh, Friday live streams. So yeah. um, this is the context in which we were talking about all this stuff, and we'll get into that. So just continue. I just wanted well, to get was, that out of the yeah, way so, gonna, so we can... Yeah, I was going to relate a story to this to my more recent gallery experiences. Like when I was getting into um, the UK market, uh, I had some management, a management team of guys that were that had relationships with this dis- distribution company there. And the way it works in the UK is that they have big distribution companies that supply the art to galleries. Some that are privately owned and some that are owned by the distribution company. 
And this distribution company then represents artists and does all their publishing and promotions and marketing and all that stuff. So there's a whole system there that's right. centralized. <clears throat> right. That isn't so much in the U.S. Um, the U.S. And this is commercial publishing. commercial art galleries. Well, yeah, you these would... are commercial fine art. This is like you know, I, I would say the difference between like a. I don't know. You know how to describe this. I know it's when you uh, first told me about them back in the day. I was like, "What is a?" Com-? I had no idea what it was, but it's like it's it's kind of like know a, if it's a term that people use. But this is how I describe it because they're they're not like the the sort of um, you walk in and nobody pays attention to you, and you just look around, and there's just like one little piece every five feet, and a little you know it's 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 not some sort of like um, it's. It's, it's like art for people. I don't know. It's like, it's like <laughs> I guess the way to describe it would be like anywhere from the, like the Michael Goddard's, like the dancing olive stuff, right? Like the niche or the the the, the kitschy stuff, mm-hmm. all the way up to like the really expressive uh, flower paintings and figure paintings and flamenco dancers and stuff like that. It's more. It's like kind um, of like mainstream art that is in between uh, niche kind of galleries like Copro and the blue chip world. They're like, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's how I see it. It's like a kind yeah, of yeah. a step up from the galleries I show in only in the sense of like, you know, they're selling ex- expensive stuff and doing a lot of volume. It's very much like yeah. a, more of a business. Whereas a lot, I think a lot of the gal, the places that I show in are more like, you know, they're selling work and everything and doing shows and promoting, but they're, but they, you know, they really are into being part of the community and showing the work and having shows. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. A little more like yeah, yeah. mom and poppy. Whereas these are places yeah. that are like really trying to fucking make a lot of money. They have a system down Yeah, they've got a system. The best way to describe it would be like the kind of galleries if you go to Las Vegas and go through Caesars Palace or whatever and you see the art galleries there. Right. Those would be commercial art galleries. And artists they, get, get rich as shit. Some artists get extremely rich from galleries like that, like they, millionaires. They can. Yeah, they can. They can. <laughs> uh, so that that's I think that's a misconception that people have when they see artists in those galleries that they think that they're just making tons of money and uh, – they may not be because what usually happens is that <laughs> is there's a few but artists in those galleries that make the gallery the most money. I right. would say probably like, you know, if you want to do the 80, 20 rules, probably 20% of the art they carry in there is making them 80% of the money. Right. Right. Um, and, and a lot of that comes down to how well they are at hyping themselves and, mm-hmm. you know, how good the work is and a combination of those things, all, all kinds of things go into it. Well, that Goddard, Michael Goddard guys is sort of, you know, it's like we're talking like Thomas Kincaid, Michael Goddard, those types of artists. That Michael Goddard guy is really a great example because his, you know, if the the work, he's not a great painter. He's he's not a great painter. He's not like he's not. I've seen his stuff. He's nowhere close to the to the, as good of a painter as you. Not even close. But he's got an idea. He's got a, kind of a gimmick that people like. He can, you know, he does it repeatedly. He's really good at self promotion. He hooked him out, uh, hooked himself up with all kinds of celebrities. He's like a PR. He was. I mean, I don't know if he's that big anymore, but at the time, he had. Are a, you still out there? Yeah. He had, he had well, a PR. Michael Goddard is actually a really cool dude. He, oh, I'm, I'm before. I'm sure he's a good guy. I'm, just, I'm not Before talking got, bad about no, him personally. No, I'm gonna, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of expand on what you're talking about, though. Um, so I was doing a festival in Hermosa Beach years ago, and he came into my booth and bought several of my prints from me. And oh, then cool. he's like, 
It's like I really like your work. It's like, and he at that time he owned his own chain of galleries. Yeah, all over there the was country. one right down the street in Monrovia that like yeah, yeah. opened up in the, during the and, recession and then just closed down because the recession. Yeah, hit. he was huge for a while. When I did my art expo in New York, he had like a gigantic exhibit there, and he was killing it. Mm. Um, yeah, he, yeah. So the so a lot of the work that you're familiar with, I know what you're talking about, but he actually is really talented. He makes some. So, his ability to make good paintings is he can he can paint he can, he can make it. really compelling images. That's like yeah, I mean Thomas Kincaid is the same way. It's like he can do make great but paintings. I, you know. So what he what he stumbled onto with with the with the dancing olives was was a uh, it's it's more of a like coming up with your character. You know, like coming up mm-hmm. with a licensable character in, in a in something like a Mickey Mouse or something. Right. And and he was able to expl- you know make that work if people loved it. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I remember come when when I came away from that art expo and I made nothing. I I was max. I I bankrupted myself. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have enough money to ship my artwork back to me from New York. <laughs> and I I was looking at people that were doing and like it seemed like it's like everybody and I was poo pooing a little bit. I was like, man, people just have a gimmick and I don't blah blah blah. And I was right. kind of complaining, right? <laughs> and then I turned my attitude around. I'm like, well, I can't just complain that you know you know like that you know because what 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 i was saying was i couldn't do that because i wouldn't want to paint the same thing over and over and over again and then i thought well if if they're doing it either they're going to get miserable doing it or they really like doing that and they're having fun Mm -hmm. and it's not a big thing and that's something that they enjoy doing so i started looking at that i was like all right so what i started to learn is like i need need some sort of a um a niche or a genre and i didn't know what that was at the time i was doing fantasy artwork like floating yeah. trees and mermaids it's and cool to and look things. to look through your whole body of work because you've been doing this for like over 20 years right 25 years yeah. or and it's like you went it's like you've got so many different stages you went through you got the pirate paintings you got the fantasy paintings you got the gangsters yeah. you got the cowboys it's really interesting to see anyway. well before i did the you know, so I, I transitioned at one point. Um, so I, I, I knew that I got, I got rid of thinking about people who were doing things I thought, were, you know, like as, as a, a way of looking down on it. Mm-hmm. And I started looking at what they were doing that was working. And even when I was at that art expo, I went to Michael Goddard's booth and I looked at how his work was presented and how it was framed. And it looked like a million bucks. Right. Yeah. And he had a, a gorgeous display. And. And that is, and I, and that's something that you get drilled into in art school is your presentation matters. I mm-hmm. mean, I remember my roommate got a, a C on a project for architectural drawing because on the back of his project, which was wrapped in cellophane, there was a hair under the cellophane, and, the, and he circled it with a red marker and marked him down for something on the back of his present, <laughs> on the back of his project. <laughs> that's a good lesson. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> um, it's so true. every time I, I saw somebody doing something that was working, whether I like their work or not, I had to acknowledge that what they were doing was working somehow. Mm-hmm. And, and the principle of what was working, could I, how, what could I take from that? And some of it was like, a lot of it was presentation and framing. You raise the expectation that people have when they walk into your booth, depending on how you are presenting it. Oh, yeah, So yeah, if you have stuff yeah. leaned against a wall on a beat-up old display made of cardboard and it looks like shit – or if you're on the floor on a sidewalk in Venice Beach, people are going to not expect to be paying right. a big price or big. So you have to, you have to, pre, you have to put your value on your work yourself. You have to value it mm-hmm. 
before anybody else is going to value it. Right. You know, nobody's going to pay, just offer you to pay you more because you're so fantastic. There's a million <laughs> artists out there that are million times better than you are. <laughs> right. At every level you are, there's always somebody else that's just levels above. Totally. Right. Yep. Technically or otherwise. Yep. Um, I'm kind of getting lost in my thought here, but uh, <laughs> galleries, galleries. But, uh, We're talking about galleries and, present, and presentation. <laughs> so you, you're looking at people who are doing things that are working, whether you like their work or not. Right. And you have to figure out like what are they doing that's working. And it's important. And to, it's important to be objective too, because it's so easy. Because because as you know, I think most of us as artists are like we are artists because we love art. We love creating art. It's super personal to us, and so it's easy to get caught up in that like oh this person's making so much more money than me and they're not as good i know they're not as good as me and this person's just you know <laughs> it's easy to get ca- i mean i've been there it's easy to get caught up in that but it's not serve it's not going to serve you it's going to work no, against it's not you true on yeah. top of that yeah <laughs> and, and, the, and the way i learned that is just by selling it in venice beach like people would buy from me or they would buy from the next person or they'd buy from both, but they were never making a decision about like who has the best art and who right, buy the best. Exactly. Buy, it's true. It's, they that's would so buy fun. the thing that they like. That's so funny. That's, that's the next artist. That's so funny. Cause that's, I never thought about that, but that's so true. It's, it's ne- ha, ha, when have you ever seen a person that's like, you know, comparing two artists and thinking which one is better. It's like, it's never like that with collectors. It's always like, it's who they love. It's what they love, what they're for, whatever reason, what they're attracted to. And they just like those artists. It's never a competing yeah. thing. You know? And you also, I've, I've also, I think we had this discussion recently about, you know, I think you called them biters or, or people that are, right. you know, doing something very similar to you. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what do you, you do about that? And you know what I do about that? is whenever I get approached with a commission or a project that I don't want, I just pass them on to those people. <laughs> I feed them. That's I a like, good idea. You know, they're doing something feed that, the I don't have that much of that that I know of, but there's a couple of artists out there that are doing similar genre, yeah. similar types of things. Mm-hmm. And so I get a project and somebody has a, either I don't want to do it or the budget isn't there or whatever. Right. Instead of telling them, no, I just tell them, Hey, I know this other artist that might be interested in doing. It. And then I help that other artist out and I help this person out who came, came to me and I help solve the problem. Right. <laughs> and then I don't have to tell them no. That's great. <laughs> and then you make the other artist feel guilty for biting you. <laughs> no, the other artist, I, I've done it a couple of times. And one of them was like, Hey, you know, I don't call them biters. They're, I don't think they're, I know, I know. They're, they're, yeah. But you know what I mean? It's like, they actually appreciate it. And they actually, one of them was like, did you send this guy to me? And you said that you recommended me. I'm like, he was, he was like trying Puzzled. to see if it was legit or something. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Oh, thanks dude. I'm like, yeah, no problem, man. <laughs> Someone told it to him as a joke just to fuck with him. Cause his stuff looks so similar <laughs> to yours. Yeah. Gabe Leonard sent me, but anyway, so, so let's, 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 let's get into the gallery thing. Let's get into the gallery thing. So you are into these, uh, uh you're, you're, you you work ex- the the interesting thing about you and I discussing this is um, my gallery experience has been pretty different. There's like like you said, there's very there's fundamental truths along the way, but yeah. um, we kind of work in these two different worlds in a way because you're there's in the, two you're, different systems. Yeah, yeah. If you think so about a systems. Right, right. And so you're you're primarily in this commercial art gallery scene, right? Like you yeah. you show and just. A certain amount of I, commercial art galleries. Yeah, I correct? sell exclusively through galleries now. So that was the how many biggest... galleries? How many galleries? I I know I I don't know. Hot shot. 
I don't know how many galleries. <laughs> now let's see. I have one, two, three. I have somewhere about seven or eight. Okay. Uh, okay. At one point, I was like in about thirty all at once. Wow, that's crazy. You know, including the UK and all this stuff. And and it sounds wild, but the pressure on that is pretty high. Like, yeah, I remember. So I like, remember you were doing all those drawings and shit. Yeah, I was like, I was. So the, one of the drawbacks when I was working with the distribution company in the UK is that they have a system, and then the, what they do is they shoehorn you into the way they do things, and it right. may not be the best way to capitalize on what you're doing. Right. And so they, for some reason, signed me on to a deal, then immediately decided that they didn't want anything to do with my outlaw stuff because they just were certain that they wouldn't move there. We, we can't sell those here. <laughs> and so I, I came up with these uh, this business guys oriented stuff, which was similar to my outlaws, but basically different wardrobe and technology and thing. But a lot of the same attitudes and yep. and and different st- things. And and those sold well there. Um, but I didn't have the connection to that genre as much. But it, I yeah, did the western it, stuff's a, definitely more you. Yeah. So there was, but there was a couple of reasons for me to do it, and, and outside of them wanting something different, which was I didn't want to be pigeonholed into the Western genre. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to create an umbrella of things. So like with the business guys, the pirates, the mobsters, I ended up doing Luck, which was based on like the '60s casino scene, mm-hmm. um, noir, which is like black and whiteish sort. So I created all these sort of different things. So I can move around and experiment whatever I can do, whatever I want to do, but it fits under an umbrella that for galleries is easy to understand and easy to sell. So I I would say that if you want to work with galleries, um, there's a a couple of things that you need to understand. One is that you're not selling to the collectors anymore. You're selling to the galleries. Mm -hmm. Um, two, you have to be able to make them money. Right. Uh, they're not there to like take you under their wing nurture you, show you the ropes, do all your marketing for you, and figure out how to sell it. If you don't know how to sell it yourself, the gallery's going to just spin whatever story they can think right. of. To help you <laughs> and usually it's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. Uh, so you have to, be. you have to, you know, you're, you're saying that you need to kind of like coach these galleries and, and tell you them to like you, you to train them. Yeah. You say you, you sell yourself and your work to them and that's how they should be selling it to other people. That that's the basis of it. But what happens a lot is that <clears throat> some of the artists are really good at creating a bunch of hype, and that hype and attention drives people to think the work is worth more, and they buy it. Like, and that was sort of what was going on at the beginning when I started getting into all these galleries. Is the management company was that I was working with was taking that track because that's what had worked for them in with previous artists, and I can see how that was working, but. I didn't like the way that it worked because it put me on the spot of going to these events and then all of a sudden there were I was hearing stories that weren't true, but I didn't say them, but the the <laughs> gallery staff would get these stories and then they would start evolving and <laughs> what do you what do you mean? About like how the work was created was, and stuff? Uh, they thought I was like a, a um I remember I went to a show and one I I don't know if it was a gallery staff or a collector was certain that I was a uh, storyboard artist for Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> and, like, and you know if i would you know, that's hilarious I, was, I could see how they thought that because it's like 
you know, on yeah. this, your branding is the cinematic artist. If Tarantino was a painter type thing. So it's yeah, <laughs> Tarantino. So somebody had actually bought a piece of mine and gifted it to Tarantino, but I've never seen him with it. So right. that's just a story that I've heard from, you know, like I don't even know what happened because so much stuff was happening <laughs> behind the scenes that I wasn't, I wasn't aware of it. And I was, I think the hardest thing for me to do was to give up. You have to give up control of right. what you're doing. Cause I'd spent, Years selling it myself, making my art, selling it myself, and I I knew how to sell it. I knew how to talk about it. And all of a sudden, what you have to do is give up all of that. Not only just you have to give up your own sales. So I took everything I was doing and I put it in the hands of this other system, right. just like overnight. So the galleries don't want you selling your work yourself, and there's a good reason for that. They they don't want to spend work. They 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 are going to spend effort and time training staff and to talk about your work taking up valuable real estate on their walls to display your work, framing your work. Mm. They're going to put a lot of skin in this game. And if they're doing that and then the collector emails you and you just sell it to them directly, then what are they doing it for? Mm -hmm. You don't want to do that. Right. Even, even if it means that you're going to make all the money in one sale, the idea is that that gallery over time is going to cultivate hundreds and hundreds or thousands of sales and lots of collectors and, is going to generate you more business than you're going to make off of snaking one sale at full retail. Right, right. Usually, so, things like that are born of desperation when an artist needs a sale. But let, let me let me interject here because this sure. is one of the ways that our gallery experiences differ. Like, I don't have my I have Copro's my main gallery. That's uh, my 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 other gallery was Last Rights, but they kind of closed down during covid so they're not around anymore on the east coast and um so it's primarily copro i'll do group shows to usually the group shows i do are just like friends galleries that people i know i'm trying to support and stuff but it's not like a money making thing but the the deal with copro is like generally you know i'll do a show a year with them and you know sell through them and i can basically you know it's it's there's a lot of leeway there because it's kind of a different it's a different gallery scene than you're talking about. So I you know I make I have to sell stuff myself, but I'm not doing like rarely I'm doing some commission stuff myself. Just be you know if I was doing it through the gallery, then I would be doing it through the gallery. But I'm not yeah. getting commissions through the gallery, so yeah. um, I do those myself. And um, you know I'll sell old paintings sometimes, older paintings, finished paintings that have been in a show at Copro that I gotten back that they weren't able to sell. I I'll do sell, and they're cool with that. And then the other thing I'll do is sell my studies myself because it's like they're not totally worth it for them to sell cuz the price point is low enough, you know, f- mm-hmm. to do a split split that way. So it's sort of like you know, that I I uh entrust them for my solo show every year and then they they make their money yeah. from me that way. And then the rest of the year, they don't have to worry about taking care of me or, you know, because I'm, I have this thing set up in this way to where I can make money. Yeah. And it's just been out of necessity, really. So, yeah, yeah. So that's, di- main, that's very different, though. That's a, a totally different scene. <clears throat> than so what I was have. working similar to with galleries the way you were before I got into a, more than two or three galleries. Like, so. I don't think I there's a commercial art gallery that does shows the kind of stuff I show, though. Really, you know, yet. Yeah, there's. So that, that that's an interesting point is that there's a whole 
market that is nobody's tapping into yet, which I think you, I was you telling- guys with, with the, the dark art, dark art. There's some, there's like that's even when I started with the outlaw stuff and the wild west is like nobody's doing this. It's a whole genre that right. nobody's capitalizing on. Yeah, and I'm interested in it, so that's like a double win for me. Right, <laughs> and and that's how I kind of discovered my genres like i started making these paintings because i was interested in history and and the stories and all of a sudden i'd made 15 20 paintings and i wasn't tired of doing similar things and that's right. kind of how i discovered it mm-hmm. it wasn't something like i just came up with a, a gimmick even though you know maybe it looks like a shtick or something sometimes but i make paintings i enjoy making right and i keep making them and they all look cohesive as a, as a group so that, that works yeah but to get back to your point with um you know working with galleries and selling yourself like um, it, you almost have to have like five or six galleries to fully get into the gallery business because right. you, you have to have markets. And, and, and the, what I was doing before that is I had a couple of galleries I was working with and I would do shows with them and they would sell, but they were, so I would not take their sales. I would not like, uh, uh, how did I do this? So I was selling on my website, but what I did is I marked all my prices up, like 10, 20% on my website. Mm-hmm. And and that was 10 or 20% above what galleries were selling. Oh, for. that's an interesting idea. Yeah. So if somebody went to the gallery, they could go to my website, but they would pay more for it. Right. And that worked for me also because I was doing festivals and people were like, oh, I can just email you though, right? And I'm like, yeah, but the deal is to buy it here. Right. You go to the website and buy it. It's going to cost you, cost you more. He's like, what if I send you an email? I said, well, what if you do? <laughs> well, I don't answer it. You know? <laughs> I was like, that's the prices. That, you know, like, I'm not going to give you a deal because I have to do all kinds of shipping other things. I'm here today. If you right. want, the, want this price, buy it now. Like, there's always an incentive. You know, you, people don't want to make a decision. And yeah. if they want it, if they this really is, want it. This going, is where salesmanship comes in. You, ha- you know, I hate to interrupt you, but you have to tell that story about the guy who was trying to talk you down on the, like $10 and it, Oh yeah, that is like had, the, the coolest story ever. It's so funny. Venice Beach and I and I had a guy. Uh, he was grinding me down on a ten dollar print. And he's like, <laughs> I want it for seven. I'm like, it's ten bucks. And he was like, and it was one of those guys who was like you just don't want to give him a deal because he's just grinding you to grind you. And so I finally yeah. I said, give me one reason why it's not worth ten, and I'll give it to you for seven. He's like, well, I could just ask you the same question. Why is it worth ten? I said, because I made it. You can't get it anywhere else, and you don't know anybody who can make it. <laughs> and I said, that's three, and he gave me ten bucks. <laughs> and so classic. I started using a shorter version of the story. People would grind me down, like, oh, can I get it for less? I said, I tell you what. He's like, you know, like I had something for like three hundred bucks. He's like, can I get it for two hundred? I said, I tell you what, you go home and you make one better, and I'll buy yours for two hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> you know, it's like you can't make it, you can't do it, and and right. I would just I would just get all cocky, and I would just tell him, you don't even know anybody who can do it, <laughs> <laughs> and just you know, the look on their face was worth not making that sale. Like, yeah. at, at that point, <laughs> at that point, I realized there is no sale to be made here, and this guy's just grinding me, so right, I'm not right. going to take it. Like, there's a certain amount of like you do things to, um, like a strategy. Like sometimes, like man, I just need the money. Yeah, I'll take that sale, but right. sometimes. You know, like someone's just, you don't have to like give away your dignity to people (laughs) to make a sale. You know, if somebody is just like really in love with something that you've done and they just don't have the cash, like I was always willing to like work with that. You want people who really, really want to have your work. Right. Um, Absolutely. So those are always a case by case situation. But after you deal with people, 
you, you for thousands and thousands of times, it becomes sort of just like right. you have these automated responses to every stupid question people ask you. <laughs> but the, this is kind of uh, the, the 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 position that you're in that I envy is is um, you don't have to deal with that shit anymore because no, you've got I, galleries I, doing I all the sales. With, yeah, I have to deal with them, and it's the same. Oh, really? stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. And, and it's the same. It, it's the same principles apply. Uh-huh. And, and, and it's, uh, a lot of it, a lot of it is like you don't give something without getting something back. Right. You know, and, and that, cause you don't want there to be an unfair balance cause I'm not trying to like talk down the way galleries work. This is just the way life works in a way business works is anybody who can advantage themselves will do it. Right. And if they can push you and squeeze you down on something, they will. Not everybody will, but that's what's going to happen a lot. So you mm-hmm. have to be willing to be flexible. And sometimes you're in a position where you just have to take it. Yeah. But when you don't have to take it, you don't. And so the, the key is to like, even when someone's offering you a, a shit sandwich, figure out what the condiments you like are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, get something out of it for you. There's got to be something that you're getting out of it. Right. Because otherwise, you don't have to take it. You right. don't have to deal with you know, like if you're working with a gallery. Like, so I got approached by a, a gallery that owns Change the Gallery. They own galleries in Tahoe, Hawaii, Las Vegas. Wow. And they they approached me. They wanted to put me in their galleries, and I was like, oh man, this is gonna be great. And so I sent them a my price list and and uh, sort of my program of you know. This or that, but one of the things I brought—I had a phone call with them, and I and I brought up I was like, I have a minimum buy-in. I mentioned what that was, and and she got all upset. She's like, you know, well, we we work with artists all the time. You know how many people walk into our gallery wanting us to present them? I said, like, yeah, but you called me, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that was a red flag to me, right? That they want them—they they dangle this. We got all these galleries want to put you in them, and and uh, they dangle this in front of you. So that you will just give them a whole bunch of work for free, and then you don't like what? What are they? What are they putting in? Like, you know, if they're not will, if if they're that excited, and they're not willing to put some skin in the game up front. Right. After you've established yourself in several continents and a bunch of galleries, like they know that you're working something. Then they came back to me later, like, well, we don't like this gallery you're working with in this other city. We think that they're going to undercut us and like take snake sales from us on the online. But the gallery they're complaining about was like one of my strongest galleries. I'm like, they wanted me to quit working with them so that they could sell the, you know, as as part of. They're just trying to squeeze me right away. Right. And I'm like, they're like, well, maybe we can do some sort of temporary thing. And you know, like, I'm like I'm not interested in temporary partnerships. I was right. like, goodbye. Because <laughs> the thing was, is they are dangling this prospect of like, well, my girlfriend calls this cake tomorrow, right. but there never is cake tomorrow. They talked about cake yesterday, like how things, how great things were with this other person back in the day and how great they're going to be tomorrow, but they never want to like provide cake today. Right. <laughs> and today, then there is no deal. Right. I mean, even recently I had a gallery from the UK send me an email like, we want to represent you on our website. We want to like, we do all these online sales. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, do you have a brick and mortar gallery? They're like, no. Like, we have this one client that wants this one piece. I'm like, okay, yeah, I have it. They're like, they want me to sell it to them at, at a at a wholesale rate for one piece. I'm like, well, the shipping over there is more than the piece cost wholesale. <laughs> and I, st- I started pressing them on, let's have a conversation about what you're going to do on your website. How are you marketing? What are you going to do? 
And eventually they just quit returning my emails. And then I get an email from a collector in the UK ordering that print. I just sold it to them full, full price. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't have anything to offer me. They were trying right. to dangle this idea that they're going to do all this thing, but they are not. Right. And I knew it because I started pressing them and pressing them on, on details and, and what their plan was and what they were going to obligate themselves to. And they didn't want to, no, they weren't going to do it. Right. So this is so, the kind of thing you've learned through all the years of working with galleries. You may not have done that. You so, may not have been so astute early on to be asking all these questions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of it comes from even just selling it myself. You learn, you learn the sort of motivations people are having by the way they're approaching you. Right. So, so, um, I wasn't suspicious of anybody contacting me, but when I start trying to nail things down, like in a real business relationship and they start flaking and flying and him and hawing, mm-hmm. that's just a red flag that they're probably going to be difficult to work with. Right. And, that mean, and that doesn't mean you don't work with those people, but like even this gallery that approached me with these three guys, like I might work with them in the future, but I, at that point, I knew that they were going to be more hassle for me probably than it was worth. And I'll wait until the situation – like I have something to get out of it and something that, work, that works for me and for them. Right, right. And some some relationships you have to sort of manage, micromanage, or they will get away – try to get away with whatever they can get away with. Yep. And some, and some relationships are awesome. They pay right away. They do – like they do all the things that you that you hope for. Um, you could just choose to work with just the perfect relationships. Uh, but I think you limit yourself a mm-hmm. lot if you do that, um, be, shying away from conflict or difficult relationships can hurt you in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, even if they're difficult, that doesn't mean that they're bad people or they're trying to rip you. They just trying. they just, this is the way they do things and you have to learn how to operate and not take it personally. <laughs> Like you know, like I, I rewatched the good, the bad, the ugly the other night with Kalisa, and we were. It dawned on me it's like, that's really how business operates. You're you're either one of those three characters. You're either Blondie Tuco or Angel Eyes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> either either you're a cutthroat and you kill people, you're a rat, or you <laughs> leave people alone in the desert. But at least they have a chance to survive. Right. <laughs> you know, there's there's no way to avoid all the. Well, there, you can avoid all the all the, the negative things that are out there, but um, I, I feel like if you can figure out a way to work with it and flow with it, that's you're gonna get more opportunities that way. Yeah, you know, it's, like, you, it's already hard you, enough to, without those kind of limits. I think. So the the thing that I think that as an artist you have to have, or, or like three, like I had a, a three list, but I've added a fourth one to the list. So the, the <laughs> list was. Uh, uh, meet your deadlines, do good work, and be easy to work with. Right. So you can do, do those three things, you're ahead of the game. The the fourth thing I've added is don't give anything without taking something for yourself. Like you have to you have to have something in it for you. Like if somebody's trying to get something out of you, you have to get something back right. from them. And an example of that is like if you're going into a contract with someone or a representation or a gallery, um, a lot of times the contracts will stipulate what you have to do. Like you have to, you have to make so many paintings, you have to do so many things or you have to do this or this is how you get paid or whatever it is. But what you want to do is make sure that the other party is obligated in that, in that deal as well. So Mm -hmm. 
with my management, I had them, they threw out huge numbers that they thought they were going to do for me before I signed with them. And so I hired an attorney and she helped me write the contract, which held them to a minimum sales standard, which wasn't as high as the numbers they were throwing out. But it was like, if they couldn't meet this minimum sales standard, then there were problems and they signed it. And then after three years, they went under that minimum sales standard and I got out of the relationship. Oh, wow. And the reason I had that is because the way it was structured is if they were meeting those standards, then if they ended the if the relationship ended, they would continue to get a commission for several years after that contract ended, because they had got me into all these accounts right, and all these other things, right. built all help build it up. So they didn't want somebody like me to come in and get built up really big and then just cut them out and then take all the gold, right? Right, right. So it it was devised that if they performed then they got paid if they didn't perform then they didn't get paid right mm-hmm. and and uh i i was looking at what i was doing and like my production went up by three quarters you know two three times as much as i was producing mm-hmm. during that but the, but this this what they were what they were projecting didn't didn't work mm. and and uh you know, without going into a lot of details about things and how's that, but sometimes relationships, they, they just don't work. All right. All like right. I, we didn't end up on bad terms or anything. It's just like it wasn't working and I need, I, I needed out and I had a back door. So did you, uh, did you negotiate this with, uh, did the lawyer help you negotiate this? Yeah. So I had okay. a copyright attorney that, uh, I hired to help me do this and I, and we wrote, we, they, they, so they provided me the contract and then I, expanded on it and and uh, uh negotiated all the terms out that made sense like basically like when you're getting into a representation deal you're planning a divorce is when you're writing a contract right you're planning you're planning all the things like if this doesn't work what happens right it's what how do we divide this who's responsible for what what are your obligations what are my obligations that, that sort of thing right and so you have to, you have to really think things through a, a little bit about what you expect what's reasonable to expect and and I was just holding people to what they said they're going to do. So people will puff you up with all kinds of ideas. But if you're going to sign a contract based on those ideas, you better have those ideas in writing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you're left with nothing. You yeah. Know? Yeah, it's true. Especially and on that want, level, on that level of doing well, things. I learned how to do that by getting ripped off a bunch of times, by doing a job and then be presented with a contract that required all kinds of rights. And then I was desperate for the money. And so I've been ripped off. I've been... <laughs> I've been through all that before and it's frustrating, but eventually you just learn to how to avoid those situations, right. like how to keep from falling into common traps of, yeah. Um, it's almost like it's part of the process. You know, you're going to get screwed a couple of times. It's going to happen. You're going to have to eat the shit yeah. sandwich. You know, it's going to happen. And sometimes, and sometimes you make a move that's good and you end up on top and everybody else gets left holding the bag. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't nefarious on my part, but that's what happened with my, 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 uh, representation. Although what I, I didn't really hold the bag. I just restructured the deal. Right. Something that worked for me mm-hmm. and after three years. And so, um, there is no final success. Like, <laughs> right, you know, like, yeah. so like, I remember thinking that if I just get into these galleries, it's just like, then it's a system. It's just like a train it just keeps moving. Yeah. It's going to be a piece of cake. 
Uh, it's not. It's just another level. <laughs> another <laughs> level of bullshit. <laughs> it's some of that. Yeah, it's 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 all of it on another level. All the good and the bad, all, right. all on another level. And it's, you know, like so. I'm. Whoa! Wait, wait, hey! Your uh, your audio went off. Maybe your headphones are dead. Can you hear me? Sorry, Gabe's audio cut out on me. There we go. I can so, hear you. All right. Hopefully that doesn't turn back off. I don't know if the battery's dead, but I can plug this. I have this Rode microphone. Oh, fancy. Now I can't hear you. Uh, no, I can't hear you. How about now? Yes, now I can. All right. There, you sound great. All right. Give me one second. I'm going to plug this bad boy in too while it's still in the camera like no problem <laughs> all of your viewers are really enthralled with our technical difficulty <laughs> it adds to the to the realism <laughs> yeah there we go That's oh you got a it's buzzing it's like god that means that probably won't work yeah how's that yeah that sounds great uh, all right well we'll go we'll see how that long <laughs> if nothing else i'll just turn it over to another microphone <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so where were we? Um, I don't know. I wasn't taking notes. Levels of shit, <laughs> different levels. Yeah. Just everything goes up a level. Um, I, you know, one question I, I, um, I think that a, a lot of people ask me, and I'm curious to, get, to hear what you have to say on it is: say you're starting out and you want to work, uh, really with any gallery, but specifically in commercial art galleries since that's where you um, do most of your business or all of your business now, how, what's the best way to approach a gallery? I mean, don't. This is, <laughs> don't, don't seriously. Don't okay. do it. Okay. So, okay. Um, what, what do you because, do? Because here's the way galleries work. This is the, it's a business. They the want first to make time money. I've they ever heard. Spend... It's the first time I've ever heard an artist say, don't. <laughs> yeah. They, 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 they want to sell stuff. Like if you have good salespeople, they don't want to spend time on things that are hard to sell mm -hmm. because they're good. They'll just go to the easiest thing there is to sell and sell the shit out of that. Right. So you have to spend the time figuring out how to sell it and you have to develop the, the audience for it and the market for it. And then when you have a big pile of collectors handing you cash, they're going to come after you. Mm. Yeah. And that's a, that's a yeah. better, that's a better bargaining position as well. Yeah. So if you go to a gallery and you're like, I'm just starting out, they don't give a shit. They don't want to invest the time because it's expensive to run a gallery. Right. Um, there are galleries. That's what a lot of galleries do group shows for. Cause they can put a bunch of these kind of artists in one group. And then if a few of them sell consistently, then they start figuring out, Oh, those people sell. Then we can, so that's how they start finding artists in that right. pool of artists. Right. But I would suggest spending your time figuring out how to sell it yourself hmm. until you have so many sales that you can't manage them yourself and your time would be better spent making the art than selling it. Yeah. That's a great advice. You know, that's great advice. So don't waste galleries or your time pursuing galleries, especially if you're starting out, just focus on your work, find any event where you can sell your work, whether it's online or any place, any place you see people selling anything can be you selling your art. It can be a farmer's market. It can be anywhere. But get it out in the real world in some way. Find mm -hmm. coffee shops. Find someplace you can put it up. Get it in front of people. Like, and there's, there's a million ways to do it. Yeah. But you're not going to, you know, 
the galleries, I, I have one gallery I work with that waited three years to see if I was going to last before they decided to carry my work. Oh, wow. And now they're one of my best galleries. Wow. Huh. So they aren't taking risks on you. They're not going to. Um, you, you have to figure all that out yourself. You're going to, this is the irony. You're going to have to do it all yourself. <laughs> um, and it's going to be slow, slow grind. I mean, there are exceptions where artists just come out of nowhere and they find a gallery footing and they blow up really big. Yeah. That's not common though. But what, what is common when that happens is a few years later, they're back to nowhere because they don't know how they got there. Right. They don't, they don't know how their pricing got put where it was at. They don't have any understanding of that structure that it, they don't, it's 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 like it's like it's a parabolic rise and goes right back down like the slow steady grind is what it's going to take it like you know i worked with ga- a couple of galleries here and there for from probably about 2006 or 7 to 2012 but it, i was selling it primarily myself for 12 years before mm. i got into galleries and even then it was a trick so i got into the distribution deal in the uk and then I took that. Uh, we, we took that and went to all the U.S. galleries, and we, we pointed like, "Look at what we do. What we're doing in the U.K. It's blowing up." That was so the first all, one. That was the first one that you were. That's kind how of... I got into all the U.S. galleries. It's like, yeah. it's like all of a sudden they see you're in 15 galleries in the U.K. and they're promoted on all these websites, and it's got all this yeah. buzz about it. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're like, "I'm in." They they you we sold the galleries into that idea that that that. It's it's blowing up. We better get in. Wow. They started carrying the work, but then you your work has to sell because as soon as it, if they get all and they put a bunch of energy into framing it, put it in the wall, and it doesn't move, you're right back out on the street. Right. You know they they don't have time to sit around and w- wait for your work to sell. And good luck and, getting a second chance too. <laughs> yeah, you, you might. That, that comes into the being easy to work with. If they if, there's a lot of galleries like to, they don't want to work with jerks. If you're yeah. a jerk artist, that even if your artwork is great and it sells well, you're going to find your way out of that gallery because they're going <laughs> to find ways to replace you. They don't want to work with assholes. Right. So don't be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, you can't be a pushover because if you are, they will push you over. Right. So you have to find that balance somewhere of being easy to work with but not not being someone that can just push into a corner. It's Right. Yeah, I, I recommend I recommend people watch that show sixty days in. If you haven't been to prison, uh, it's a documentary about people go undercover into prisons, city prisons, and it's bananas. But that is a sort of a hyperbolic version of what life is. It's really, like, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that show. You you have to be, you know, you don't want to trade commissary unfairly. You don't want to be, you know. You have to know how to move along in the system without being a victim. Right. Wow. You, know, you don't have to be uh, a pod boss and be beating people up in the shower all the time, but you don't <laughs> want to be getting your commissary stolen all the time either. You right. know, if you're weak, they will prey on you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and when you come to a gallery with hat in hand, you're coming in a weak position. So you don't want to come in weak. You right. want to come in like was something like, look, look what I'm doing. Yeah. And, and, and some of that is you can have all the marketing and all the brochures and flyers and website, you know, puffing yourself up. But what really works is if they see the amount of collectors that you're bringing around, like you're, you're selling the work, that's what rings their bell. Right. Yeah. Money talks. And so it's, you know, yeah. So I would say like 
from for most artists, I wouldn't even worry about galleries. I would you can make a really great living just selling your work yourself. Yeah. And you can find a system that works. Like you're doing, you're a perfect example. You have created a system that uh, you have a, a, a tight collector base. You have a, a, a sort of a community that you've created around your work uh, that is even expanded farther way about way beyond what just you yourself do. But mm. you have a system that really works well. And that's generally what you do. You keep working at it until you find what's working. And then you take what's working and you just keep building on, on that particular point. Yeah, I, I I agree, and I and I think that you know one thing that it's weird that that artists uh, have this issue with you know having no business acumen because if you think about it, um, we are artists are like the most creative people in the world. I think they're they're super creative. They're you know that's that's our stereotype is that we are creative. You kind of have to be creative to some degree to be an artist. But it's all, it's really a and lot desperate. of, yeah, <laughs> a lot of it is about uh, creativity. And so there's no reason, it's just a matter of reorienting yourself and taking a different perspective. There's no reason you can't take that creativity and apply it to sales and marketing and how you run your business, you know, and make it interesting in that way and, and, and view your business as, as another aspect of your art. View it yeah, as like art yeah. in a way, you know. I and have, you could really I, have what I call two hats. I have the the hat that I make the artwork with, and then the hat that I sell it with. So right, right. But I they can both be the, super creative and fulfilling yeah. in a creative way. I think. Yeah, yeah. You, you, creativity is problem solving. So mm-hmm. when you're dealing with the problems that you encounter in business, you have to figure out a way around those problems and sales and all that. So, like the way I learned to sell work was first of all by just trying to do it. Mm-hmm. And then I watched this movie, Glengarry Glen Ross, which is based on a, such a David Mamet play. Great movie. I and love that I movie. followed, I, I just pretended like Alec Baldwin was <laughs> yelling and telling me I was fired. <laughs> and I took those, like the always ABC, always be closing. Yep. <laughs> and I took that mentality. I was like, all the conversations I had when I was standing in front of my work were leading towards that sale. Like everything was leading towards that. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the AIDA, attention, interest, decision, action. So they walk up and you have their attention. They point out, you figure out which one they're interested in. You, they make a decision. Here, which one do you like? Uh, action. Are you going to buy it? Right. <laughs> and then figuring out how to do that. Like I didn't like, I'm not a hard sales kind of guy. So I would, I, I have a philosophy of attraction rather than promotion. So I would just put it out in front of people and I would attract the people who were attracted to the work. Mm-hmm. And when they're attracted to the work, then it was just a sort of filtering down to the decision: are they going to walk away with it or not? Right. Yeah. I know. I know. And, I know. So many. It's so many artists have have uh, issues with this this whole side of things. But it's like you know what? That's if you can't get over that, then don't have it be a business. Don't try and make money at it. Just do the painting part. You know, some people are yeah. just not like that, and it's fine. Yeah. You don't have to be like that. You don't have to be this go-getter, killer, you know, shark, you know, ma- making I'm your money. You, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert by nature. Like I, I hate approaching people to, mm. for anything. Mm. Um, but uh, I'm good at dealing with people who approach me. Huh, right. You know, and and having a conversation and talking. Those are skills that you learn. It yeah. isn't something that you, you know, you just start out good at. Like, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing when I first started. I, I was, I just put paintings out on a sidewalk, and it was 
like moisture was gathering inside the frames. It was going to ruin my painting. And people were <laughs> almost stepping on it. And there was dirt and bugs getting on stuff. Like I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Right. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Same. I, same with me. I was the worst, the worst, most introverted, shy person. And yeah. you know, I always figure if if I can learn to do it, most artists can learn to do it. It's just how driven are you? Because I was so not oriented to that. So so so. I can't tell you how shy yeah. i was and introverted it was just it was like a problem my whole life and it was just but I like i also knew I, yeah i also knew i hated working jobs exactly it's like that's how desperate i was it was like i'm willing to face this deficiency in my personality and develop it so that i don't have to keep working this day job you know often i you know there's a, there's a book called the obstacle is the way and and that's kind of the theme is like usually the thing that you want to achieve is right through the thing you don't want to do. <laughs> it's, it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're ever wondering what it is that you should be doing, think of the thing that you absolutely do not want to do. That's probably what you have to do. Yeah. <laughs> you have to go right through it. Yeah, that's so true. Wow. <laughs> that's great. I've never thought of that. That's excellent. It's funny because yeah. I remember in the film business, every time, you know, this is on a more uh, – airy fairy cosmic level but every time there a job came in on a movie that i wasn't interested in, it was always ended up being the most fulfilling and coolest job you know and the ones that i thought were going to be so awesome that were like right down my alley ended up sucking and it's like because of the it, the ones that you know you're the things you're, you're you don't want to do or they that challenge you they challenge you more there's more of a re- reward there as well you know yeah but i uh so just quickly, how does it work with you? How is your business model, if you don't mind uh, talking about it, the way you sell through commercial galleries? Like, what is it like? Is Do you have like a sales rep and then they say, we need this from you and then you give it to them? Or is it like, are they buying them wholesale up front for you? Or It's a mixture of things. So a lot of it is consignment. Uh-huh. Um, Which is and- where they get the free thing. They, they get yeah, it. Yeah, but they don't get it for free. They're, you know, usually the deal I have is that they frame it up. So they put mm. money on, on it. And this is and, originals and canvas prints? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, so with the originals, I give them, you know, a certain amount of time to keep them on the wall, minimum of like three months. Okay. I mean, you don't want galleries being a museum. You don't want galleries holding on to work for indefinite periods of time. Right. And a lot of times I'll leave them there, some pieces there for longer than that. But the caveat is that they spend money on framing it up, and then another gallery has a collector who wants to buy it through that gallery, and then I'll pull it back from the gallery it's in, and then do you get to keep the frame? The frame. No, they eat the frame. They, they they sometimes they try to get you to pay for it. Like I don't want your frame. They send it back. <laughs> or sometimes they send it back, and I I trade them. I, I sometimes what's been happening is they send it back of the frame, and then I send them another piece that's already framed later on. Right. Okay. So that happens. Okay. So there's all kinds of ways to work around that. Interesting. Um, but you want them to have something in the, so what they have in the, the skin they have in the game is their, is their wall space. That's their real estate. And if they have a lot of things that aren't moving, that's taking up room for something else that could be selling. Right. Um, there are, there are things that I make them buy. Like if I get down to the last few, I just sell them. Uh, I have, sometimes I offer galleries a deal if they buy a certain amount, like if they buy $10,000 worth of inventory, I'll give them a certain percentage discount on the entire order. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea is that I get a bigger chunk up front, uh, but they get a, a lot more profit margin. Right. Um, 
so yeah, there's all kinds of ways to work that, but so, generally they're trying to get, everybody's trying to get something for nothing, right. including you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, so that's interesting. There's there, I wonder if this is, I, I suppose this is probably true in all different industries, but probably more true in something like the, uh, the gallery business is that, everything's negotiable and you can kind of like work with them and come up with new ideas as, as, as ways of getting something more or giving and yeah. give and take so the, and all the that. The one thing that you, you run into a problem with and that you, that you want to try to curtail is that galleries will try to undercut each other. And so yeah, the they, policies you, I yeah. have, no discounting without, a, without any sort of approval. Like if I have a, a gallery that has a collector that's going to buy like three or four pieces and they want like a, a nominal discount or some sort of incentive, you know, I work with that, but I don't, what I don't want is somebody going to a gallery. And this was the concern of that gallery that, that had the, all these galleries in Vegas and Tahoe and Hawaii is that they don't want, they were in tourist areas. They don't want somebody walking the gallery, seeing something they like doing a quick look online, finding it in this other gallery that has less of a, of a, of a, you know, expense in their rental space or their mm -hmm. retail space and then just offering a discount online where so they're just stealing these sales away because yeah. you can just get online and look it up. Mm -hmm. So trying to find ways to curtail that from happening is is a tricky a tricky thing. Yeah. Well, you have I, to I a, make sure well, that I had you... a gallery one time that did that. It was I canceled a $12,000 sale because I found out they discounted it without my permission. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And that was hard to do. It's like it's <laughs> yeah. not gonna hurt me. It's twelve. But if I if you let someone get away with it, they will continue to do it. And then you if that word is out that your that your word isn't good, then everybody will walk all over you. You gotta you be the stern dad. You gotta be the stern dad. You can't you can't let you, your reputation is basically what you have. And if your reputation is you have these rules but you never enforce them and that you can get away with whatever you want, they will just get away they'll just people will just get away with forever. They will take. Right. So you, you have to make some tough decisions sometimes. And it may not be the right one. It may have been the completely wrong decision, but that was the choice I made at the time. Right. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I lost out that sale. That's a big sale. I guess, that was the, I guess that was the price of my dignity. <laughs> $12,000 is the price of your dignity. It's good the to price know. of integrity is at twelve thousand right now. <laughs> it's, plummeting, it's plummeting quickly. <laughs> As the value of the dollar drops. <laughs> so if I so twelve thousand and put it into Bitcoin, I'd be retired now. <laughs> exactly. So true. Um so you is it something to where you know they're hitting you up and saying okay we'd like three pieces or whatever as many you know whatever the minimum pieces you decide every month or every six months or so once do you go to them and say hey I've got new pieces or how does yeah, it work? Yeah. So generally, what you want is you want a gallery to have enough of a body of work to present in their gallery. You don't want them to have like one or two things. That's just like it's not worth it, right? Because they don't get a sense. They don't see the inventory. You want them to have a good enough body of work that people can see what you have. And if they don't have it, what they'll do, they'll just order it, order it and you ship it out to them. Simple okay. as that. Um, the, what was the other thing I was going to say? Um, so you want them to have a body of work. Um, I'm saying, do, do you, are they asking you for specific things or are you like having, making things, whatever you want and then saying, Hey, I've got this and offering it to them. 
I'm I make whatever I want. I I keep an like there's a bit of both of that. So the trick, the trick, well, I saw it myself, I could hear collectors saying, Oh, we like this. We like, if I heard a certain thing over and over again, like right. I had a bunch of people asking me if I ever had a Tom Waits painting. I'm like, man, if I make a Tom Waits painting, I'm probably going to sell it. Right. Even though, you know, the, you know, but the, you know, but what if I don't know the music? Well, then I go listen to a bunch of music and I get into it and I figure out the right painting to make rather than just trying to, I figured out if you just make things to make money, that generally doesn't work that well. Right, yeah. And when I made things that I was really interested in, that was usually what worked the best. So hmm. if I even if I heard something over and over again, if I wasn't interested in it, I wouldn't just run out and do it. Right. I'd, I'd have to wait. Till so there was something that I could see in it that I thought was cool, and then I would pick it up. Right. Um, so that was easier to get when I was selling it myself because I would be right in direct contact with collectors. But – when you're dealing with, when I was dealing with management and galleries, I was removed by two layers. I was just in my own head. I didn't know what was going on. Hmm. And that, I didn't realize that the connection I have to the people collecting the work is really important and how I kind of navigate what kind of work I'm doing. Um, there's a kind of mix between giving people, giving the audience, giving the audience what it wants and giving it what they don't know they want. Yeah. And, and so you have to, you know, I, I try to have a balance of that somewhere where if I hear something over and over again, then I'm probably going to like look into that, see what, right. it, what it is. And so if, if you have galleries saying, hey, we have this or that, if they think that they say, hey, if, if we had another one of, you know, these girls with guns pieces, I know we could sell those all day long. And I might do a couple for them and see if they if they put them out. But right. I've heard that before. And <laughs> I had a I had a painting that was finished. And it was in a gallery, and another guy was like, "Man, if I had that gallery, I, I would sell that immediately. I know I would." So I pulled it and sent it to him, and they never sold it. <laughs> Talk is cheap. And the gallery I pulled it from was like, "Well, we have a collector that's looking at this." I'm like, "Well, buy it," and they wouldn't buy it. I'm like, "Well, then, then you don't have a buyer for it. If you get a buyer for it, you'd you'd buy it." Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I pulled yeah. It from. And it might have been the wrong thing to do. Like, like it just seems to be a reoccurring theme. Every time I intervene in something, I screw it up. <laughs> Well, so my, my my attitude now is I just I'm rolling with the flow of things and not trying to intervene too much in things and let things you know making sure that uh, I think the thing I try to do is is um I get something from whatever if I'm giving something I'm getting something back out of right. it like I have whether it's from them directly or if I if I I I have to feel like or I have to see that there's something that I benefit whether it's a strategy or it's monetary or anything like that there's right. got to be something the reason i'm doing it beyond what they're asking me for it right if it's if it's just like a, a deal for you know a, a crazy discount for no reason and like you know so if somebody asked me for a crazy discount i might ask them to buy a whole bunch of stuff and that just comes back from like when i was doing sales on the boardwalk somebody would come up and they want uh, a twenty dollar print for fifteen dollars, and I, you know, or they want it for whatever. I'd say, well, buy two for thirty. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so instead of making fifteen dollars, I was making thirty. Right. And they were getting a deal. Right. So I wasn't just giving. I wasn't just giving up five bucks. I was getting ten dollars more than I would have gotten if I just sold that one print. Right. And you're both getting something out of the yeah. The bargain, so the, the transaction. You want you want somebody's asking you for something. There's got to be something you're getting out of it in return right. to make to have a reason to do it. I mean, I think that's kind of the ultimate, um, that's what, that's the goal to aim for is that we're both parties feel like they got something. Yeah. You know, uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be like equal 
in dollars and cents, but you know, I, I'll tell you one of the biggest mis- well, I don't know if it's a mistake, but something that I, I, I cringe when I see artists online, they, they put up something and then they immediately just say 10% off for this piece. It was a hundred now, 150 now it's a hundred bucks. I'm like, why are you doing that? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what, I mean, what, as opposed to, or, or, or like when I ask somebody for a price, like I, I buy art from some of these artists too. And I'll say how much for that? And they're like, it's 150, but I'll sell it to you for 120. I'm like, why are you offering me 30 dollars off? And I didn't even ask for a deal. <laughs> why? You, That's it's like you're just like taking that, your own toe and chopping it off. Like, what are you doing that for? Right. Well, that, you know, I think it has to do with uh, um, uh, lack of self confidence and and desperation. You know, and yeah, try, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost like a sales technique in a weird way, where you're saying yeah. this is, you know. Well, once I figured out that you don't have to offer discounts, I quit. Like when I was selling in the street, I had ten and twenty dollars prints, and I quit just offering people. If I thought they were wavering, I would just immediately jump in with a discount to try to close it. Like they're looking at a twenty dollars print, I was like, "Well, I'll get it to you for fifteen. You right. know, what I would do is I would wait for them to walk away. Right, that's smart. Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. Or if they had a piece and they were looking around, and and sometimes they would be looking at two. And so there's an incentive, like, just offer them a deal on two to close a deal. I would wait until they put one down and were walking away. Right. <laughs> often what would happen is that they would just buy the two pieces. They would right. they look at it, think about it, and they would just buy two. Right. And so what I did by waiting and not ruining it right. <laughs> is I let them make the decision first. And then I offered them the deal if they didn't make they didn't get two of them. That, yeah. that was the way I worked that just on, on a small level. Yeah, that's smart. But there's no sense in just offering a discount if nobody's asking for it. Like, right. Or people will walk into your booth or just they see your price and they just say, what's your best price? Like, I've already got my best price up. Offer me offer me your reasonable counter offer. Right. <laughs> you know, like I, I'm not going to just give you what's another What's your price, best price? <laughs> I, I want to know what you're willing to pay for it. Right. And the odd thing is, is often they would offer something higher than a discount I would have offered. Right. And I'll just take what their offer is. Like wow. I had some for two hundred dollars in my booth, and somebody's like, "What's your best price?" I'm like, "I'm open to reasonable offers." And they're like, you know, how about one hundred and eighty? And I was going to give it to him for one hundred and fifty. I just made myself thirty dollars more by not fucking jumping in the middle of it and, and discounting. <laughs> Opening myself. your big mouth. Yeah, that's keep, great. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> that's great advice. Uh, what do What do you? What, uh, I can't keep you too much longer because I know you have somewhere to go today, but. Um, is there like an issue? Is there like a single issue you see with artists? I know you know online maybe or uh, talking about or, or something that you see over and over. People like either complaining about or, or not getting right to where you one thing that you you want to address. There's a, couple, there's a couple of things. One, a couple. going after galleries before they're ready. Like even when I got into all these galleries, I wasn't ready for it. It was, I wasn't organized enough. The the management company I worked with helped me learn how to do all that stuff. Oh wow! I, I was. That's so funny never, because I was. I remember. I remember when that was happening. We were going to Zello and we were talking about yeah. it. I had. I, I would never have thought that you. You come across as very confident, so it's like I would have never have thought the, that. The, you, thing, the, the thing is, is you know, yeah, I, yeah, I was confident. I thought I knew what I was doing. Right. <laughs> So that's the thing. Okay. You, you're never going to know. You can't ever be prepared. You can't wait until you have things ready, like you have the right amount. Yeah, you just you have gotta, to start doing yeah, it. Yeah. And do it with what you have right now as best you can. And 
it's going to go sideways up and down who knows what and eventually you'll find a path that works for you but mm. you have to do it now with what you have and you have to do it consistently for that to, for that to happen the, the other thing when it comes to galleries that i see you know sort of pursuing them too soon not knowing what to, not knowing or understanding how galleries operate or what their motivations are mm-hmm. uh, the other thing is like on the other side is a the complaint and the, the begrudging attitude of galleries taking such a huge cut well they're your partners and if you spent the amount of time and effort it takes to sell your own work you'd know why that is so expensive it takes a lot of money to do it takes a lot of time to do and there's a lot of risk involved so of course they're taking that cut right uh, they are your they're your partners yeah yeah so like on my print sales i give a 60 percent commission to the galleries hmm. and that gives them a percentage of you know a little bit more percentage to to take the cost of the framing into account because sometimes they'll use the cost of the framing as just they'll, they'll eat that to make the sale. So right. I give them an extra because the gallery has not only if they're framing it, they have um, they have staff that they have to pay commissions to or hourly wages to. They have all kinds of promotional for promoting their gallery, all these things that go into. Yeah. And, and, and if they're only making one or two sales off of you, they're not making enough. They have to make volumes of sales. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think you this have is- to make. <laughs> it's something that you you learn you re I think you realize it when after you have at least I did after you have your own business yeah and you realize if you ever oh it's like that for them too to, yeah I mean like when I was selling it myself I was doing going to renting booths and I was spending eight hundred to fifteen hundred dollars for a weekend of, of a booth fee right just to have a booth yeah so I had to make you know. Not only that, but all my traveling expenses and all my all that all the production and framing, and I'd have to make three or four thousand, five thousand dollars at a show just to pay for my expenses. Right. So yeah. that gave me an insight into how you know galleries they have expenses too, and it's in and you have to be doing a certain amount of sales, and if you're not, then they have to have several other artists that are helping when your sales are, are down in their gallery. They they they're juggling and keeping plates spinning just, just like you are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's helpful. Yeah. It's easy to see them as in this higher position of power than you, but really they're they're like, they're they're another, what's that? They're not higher and you're not higher. They're, they're colleagues. Exactly. That's what I was going to, it's almost like, you know, to look at them as another artist who's trying to make it in a way, you know, like just another, they're another person trying to make it. And, and make, you know, I'm sure they want the, you know, just like you said, they want to get the most for the least and you want to get the most for the least. And they're just, you know, yeah. there will be when you start out galleries that treat you as you're some sort of child and and they're in charge. But they only treat you that way so long as you accept that. Right. That, that role. Yeah. Right. It's, and it's so and when you don't, they treat you. They treat you how you <laughs> demand the respect for yourself. Like. The, like I said about presentation, the more you respect yourself and know what you stand for and, and what you're willing to accept and tolerate in behavior from other people, they people will line up and treat you that way mm-hmm. or you will get rid of them. All right. You won't deal with them right. or you will not deal with them until you know how to deal with them in a way that is is uh, straight. Right. Well – do you, do you have a uh, do you have a parting shot? Do you have one bit of advice? One one I know you got some smart ass answer, so let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, 
the best advice I have is to do what you can with what you have and start right now. That's excellent advice. That's excellent advice. And I can and don't worry about what other people are doing, uh, how good somebody else is compared to you. Uh, you don't need galleries. Galleries are, is one way of doing this, but there's a million ways to make sales with your art and be successful and be happy. Um, the other side of it is outside of the initial, once you get off the ground and you're making, even if you're doing it meagerly, that is the success that that's it. Everything else is bigger, different versions of that, but they all, it so never true. feels like any better. You never have any final success that's like, I've made it. Like right. I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing and I'm swirling around in a mess. Like I, you know, like I'm managing <laughs> it, but that never goes away. It's stressful at times. It's big wins and big losses. You, you, you have to, you know, the best thing. Yeah. So do that and not get too caught up in, in the huge ups and downs. Cause there's going to be huge ups and downs. Uh, when you're down, just make sure you can breathe and you keep plodding along and do what you can and dig your way out, which I've done. And when you have huge successes, enjoy it. Until it crumbles apart and turns into something else, and <laughs> the, the the nature of this and anything else is just this transient quality. Like nothing stays the same. Like so, I I also am always looking for like you have to sort of be looking for a way to get out before you're pushed out. Because if if you think you've got somewhere and you can sit back and let things take care of themselves. You're fighting against the, the the nature of entropy, which is what rules everything, which is a continuing descent into disorder and chaos. And so to prevent that, you have to continuously put energy into something, and you have to leapfrog from one lily pad to the next to figure – you know, because Venice Beach got wiped out with all kinds of crazy things. The festivals – like if I would have been doing festivals, I would have been wiped out with COVID and not being able to travel anywhere. Right. The gallery business is fickle. Things change. People turn over their business. People go out of business. Uh, uh, you have different sales staff come in and out that may or may not know how to deal with your work. It's like all all these things are always in flux, and right. so uh, there's ne there's never any final finality to it. There's also when you fail, there's never a final failure unless you just quit and give up. Right. Like I've been bankrupted. I had twelve bucks to my name and almost $20,000 in debt that I had to like, that I was trying to make things take up in New York. And I slowly worked my way out of that. And then four years later I was buying a sports car. So right. you never know how <laughs> things are going to change. So this is, this is such, um, this, this is such a great way to, to finish up here. It's like such a great final words because this also applies to just life in general. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this really is like great life advice. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting that the, uh, that the, that the path to succeed in the art world is kind of the path to succeed in life. Yeah. If, uh, yeah. So what is success? I, I think it's being content with what you have at right. the moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And some some people have to 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 go all the way to the top to learn that lesson that they could have had at the very beginning and not done all this stuff. Well, you, but you can, yeah, you can have it at the at the at the start or and, and at the end. But it, it's there's never going to be like a final thing where you just like you're in a retirement. I like know. I don't know. Like 
Like I, I'm looking now. It's like I don't know what's going to happen. I might end up penniless and homeless. I mean, it could happen. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I bought a tent yesterday. <laughs> Went to go camping, but you know. <laughs> but in the back but, of your uh, mind, like, I think we were discussing before. It's like I'm looking. I was like, mm, I might end up living in that. I better get a good one, <laughs> <laughs> just in case. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what he, uh, Olivia, I don't know if, uh, I've mentioned this before, you know Olivia, the, the famous pinup artist from... Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, she, I was uh, I, uh, uh, I was talking to her at a show, and I was saying something like, yeah, when I get when I get older, I'll, I'll take it easier and not work as much. And she's like, it never, it's never going to happen. It never happens. <laughs> and she's like, you know, she's older than I am, and she's like basically saying, and she's, you know, she's mega successful and was extremely wealthy at one i don't know maybe she still is but she you know she was a name brand huge and she was basically saying it never it never stops being difficult and it's always going to be work and that's just the way it is yeah so the advice is take it easy now (laughs) (laughs) eat eat dessert first you know (laughs) eat dessert first i love it so that's where i'm at at this point i'm i'm um, pacing myself a little bit more because I want to. Same here. What I really enjoy doing is doing the artwork, and when you have a bunch of accounts that are needing fresh new stuff, there's a sort of pressure to like do more, do do it faster, and do it do it better all the time. Like, and it and it and it can burn you out. So what I'm doing is I'm doing my the best work I can possibly do at. Uh, a pace that I can sustain, right? And and uh, and I'm just trying to enjoy what I have at the moment and what I've what I'm doing, and trying not to worry about what kind of nonsense is coming around the bend because I know it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is, but if you sit around and fret and try to plan, you're just wasting the time you have now to do something useful, right? And yeah. so trying to stay like I guess present mind. Um. It's difficult with all the things going on in the world and the internet and news. It can just drive you nuts. So I, I've really shied away a lot from social media. I've taken all those. I take like I don't have Facebook on my phone. I mean, I check in there, but it's turned into like just this craziness. Yeah. And um, so I, I try to make sure that I'm occupying my mind and my time with things that I enjoy doing around people I enjoy talking to and that sort of thing. And I can't really see any other greater thing to be pursuing. Like there's always more to do, but, um, you never like when you achieve things that you go after, then you're left, left with what, what now, what's the next thing? Like, and there's, there's always something more, there's always something more. And you just keep chasing that desire and you'll wear yourself out. And it, it, I found lately that it takes i find more enjoyment by by taking some enjoyment out of what's just around me like if my 20 year old self could look at see what i'm doing now i'd be like holy shit you did it yeah <laughs> you know but i in my own head i'm like oh <laughs> 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 you know I, I i there's all these things going on yeah it's yeah crazy and 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 you when you that's when you achieve the things you go, they're never going to look the way you imagined them. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And so when they don't look the way you imagine them, you think that you haven't achieved achieved them, and you're and you're tricking yourself out of the accomplishment of enjoying it. Right. So if you manage to like, even for a month, make a living off your art, you did it. Yeah. 
that is difficult to do. And if you can sustain it for three months, then six months, then a year, yeah, it's like holy shit. You're one of the people who stuck it out and figured it out. Yeah. And, and your story is going to look like your story. And then you're going to be interviewed by Chet Sar someday. <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell him how it's all a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That You'll was your story. <laughs> that was a perfect, uh, perfect ending. Perfect way to end. All right. <laughs> Thanks all right. Gabe for coming on. That was, yep. that was amazing. Uh, all right. excellent. So, uh, don't hang up, but, uh, but let's say goodbye to the audience. All right. Goodbye, audience. (laughs) Uh, Say it again. I cut you off. Oh, good luck, everyone. Bye, everybody.